Hello there and welcome to the Portal to Ascension and many other channels that we're streaming live on today. It's my pleasure and honor to be once again interviewing Michael Cremo. And also we're going to be talking a little bit about the upcoming Portal to Ascension conference. And so for your introduction, Michael, I'd love to see your shining face. If we can bring Michael on up here. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Michael. And Michael is a very special being. Oops, I can't do that with my little notes. I have to put them there. Um, Michael is a very special being who has been deeply diving into what we call alternative archaeology for many years. And he has written numerous books on this topic, including being a co-author of the book Forbidden Archaeology, which has become very popular over the years. He's also known as a Vedic creationist, and we'll get into a little bit more about that as we go in our conversation here. He's also a freelance researcher and a longtime member of the Bhakti Vedanta Institute, as well as the World Archaeological Congress. And so I've heard some really cool stories in his bio that we're going to talk about. And he's also going to share some very intriguing things about uh, the large scale cosmic picture, which which should enlighten us, especially help us put things into perspective this at this time on the planet, which has so much going on. Um, and so he's he's also a proponent of the hidden history of the human race, which is also very intriguing. And of course, is one of the topics, one of the many topics that Portal to Ascension loves to help us explore. And so without further ado, Michael, thank you so much and welcome to the live stream. Great to be with you, Chiraya, and with everyone else who's going to be coming to the Portal to Ascension conference in San Diego later this month. That's right. In April, we're at the dawning of April here, and April 21st to 23rd um, this year, we're going to be in San Diego, and the conference is going to be at the Marina Village Center there for familiar with the town and Michael, among many others, I think there's there's somewhere between 20 and 30 amazing speakers who will be there. Of course, Neil Gar and Joan of Angels and all of the Portal to Ascension favorites will, will be there live and in person. And so briefly tell us, Michael, what your topic, you don't need to give away too much on the topic you're gonna to share about in person, but what are you going to be speaking about there? Well, it's going to be about a cultural heritage project that I'm involved in in India. It's mm. called the Temple of the Vedic Planetarium. Wow. And it's meant to present to people using the latest communications technologies, the concepts that underlie the Vedic picture of the origin and purpose of the universe. It's a uh, Basically, it's a kind of virtual reality system for souls that have not yet gone through the process of ascension to the higher levels of reality. You, you could say that this project is in itself a kind of portal to ascension in the sense that it's meant to elevate the consciousness of, of people in these very difficult times. Wow, that sounds very, very intriguing. So not to not to give away too much about that, we'll let people go find out about that live at the conference, or you can buy virtual tickets as well. So we hope to see you there. And we will, of course, see Michael there. And in the meantime, something caught my eye when I was looking back at your bio again um, today, and it was your name, your spiritual name, Druta Karmadasa. Yes. Correctly. Yeah, that's a Sanskrit name. It was given to me at the time of initiation by my spiritual master, uh, His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, whose teachings I encountered in the 1970s, the early 1970s. Mm -hmm. uh, was there a little feedback problem just then? Nope. Okay. Not All right. Any. So, uh, it's uh, it's a name of Vishnu, 
uh, the Hindu god, and it it means well the druta can mean fast and karma can mean work, so it can mean the Lord who works very quickly, and it can also mean druta can also mean to melt. Uh, the karma away, the reactions to materialistic activities. <laughs> Let's so, do that today. <laughs> so that's uh, that's where that name came from. It's when one is initiated by a spiritual master, it's considered like a second birth. So just like when you're born, you get a name when you're born spiritually by the process of connecting yourself with a, a, a disciplic line that is dedicated to spirituality, then you also take a, a second or spiritual birth and receive a name at that time. That's beautiful. And so many people will know of Prabhupada, I'm sure, who are listening. Some people may not be aware. Um, and that's quite cool that you were actually his direct disciple and knew about knew him personally is what it sounds like. Yeah. Um, mostly I know him through his teachings. Uh -huh. uh, personally, I did have some encounters with him, but yeah, he always used to say that uh, the spiritual master is present in two forms, Vapu, the physical form, and Vani, his teachings and writings. And he said, the Vapu is temporary. It'll be gone at some point in time. And he did leave his body in 1977, shortly after I was initiated but his presence is still very much with me through his teachings especially his books that he wrote so i, I think that's a, a message for all of us that we can be in touch with spiritual personalities and with spiritual realities through sound vibration. Because uh, what is the book? It is speech that has been recorded in uh, print form. And basically the, everything in the universe and the universe itself come from sound vibration ultimately. Mm -hmm. That's right. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And that teaching that we know of in the Western scriptures is also found originally previous to that in the in the Vedic uh, scriptures. Yes. Yeah. According to the Vedic cosmology, everything begins with sound and sound is transmitted by the ethereal element. You know, so sometimes we hear about you know the five elements earth water fire air ether so actually according to the vedic cosmology the first thing that comes out is ether and sound vibration mm -hmm. and then from ether and sound come the um, <clears throat> come the next element air and along with air touch because how do we you know we sense the air moving with our skin it's, it's a phenomenon of touch and then from that comes fire and associated with fire is vision or sight and then from that comes water and associated with water is a sense of taste. And then from water comes earth. And with earth 
is associated the sense of smell. Now, some people sometimes ask me, well, how is it that water can come from fire? But we have to understand that these elements, these five elements that are there in Vedic cosmology, the ancient Greeks also had the five elements. It's quite common in, in, in different traditions. Mm -hmm. uh, but even according to modern science, matter exists in five states. Uh, first comes space or ether. Ether provides the space for physical and mental objects. And according to uh, the Big Bang uh, cosmology of modern science, that's the first thing that comes into existence, a tiny speck of matter suddenly expands to give time and space. Hmm. And then from there come the first elements are the gases, the very simple gases, helium and hydrogen. And, and from those gases come stars, which mm -hmm. is like fire. Okay. And I was just reading recently, astronomers have discovered that stars are shooting out jets of water into space, into outer space. They're producing water, like water is H2O, hydrogen, yeah. two parts, oxygen, one part. Oxygen is a heavier element than hydrogen or helium. It's made in the first generation of stars inside their uh, thermonuclear uh, reactions. They produce heavier elements. So the second generation of stars would be producing things like water, which is made of, of heavier elements than hydrogen and helium, oxygen, in other words. Yeah. And then from there, solids, heavier elements made of atoms with more protons and neutrons are are made, you know, the solid elements like Earth. So even according to modern science, the elements proceed one from the other uh, by a process of condensation. So it's hmm. kind of interesting. I, I, I don't know, maybe this is getting too deeply no. into the weeds here, but not for me. I, you know, it's kind of fascinating <laughs> that piece about the star that answered because I was wondering about that the other day. How did water come? Well, water, it depends on who you listen to because with Mamuni Mayan, he says it a little differently. Uh, but but fire, water comes from fire, what you just said and explained that makes incredible amounts of sense. Now, when we talk about from the Sanskrit, the word prakriti is nature. So prakriti that, you know, the stars would have been born in this field of potential we call prakriti, right? And then within that, they would have started putting out this hydrogen and this helium. Hydrogen is life force. Hydrogen is found in Lourdes water and other very healing waters around the planet. Yeah. So to me, it makes total sense that that's one of the first two elements that comes forth. This is literally life. And then they come forth and then they start condensing, condensating, and then other elements come out of there. And now you're building the building blocks of that potential called property into more and more differentiated form over eons of time. Do I have it right? Something like that? Yeah. But what I, what I find especially interesting is that you know, the Vedic cosmology is a consciousness-based uh, universe or cosmos. Consciousness is there from the beginning. There are conscious intelligences present right from the very beginning, actually forever, really. Uh, and it's interesting to me that uh, when these elements are produced, say when the uh, uh, air element is produced, 
it comes not only with the element, it comes with the sense object that it's associated with, which mm -hmm. is touch. It comes with an organ that can sense things in the touch realm, namely skin. How do we know if something is hot or cold? It's, you know, we touch it, we feel it on our skin. How, how do we experience, you know, the touch sensations, the kind of things that we get from touch? Mm -hmm. Is something rough or smooth, mm -hmm. slippery or sticky? You get it by through your skin. And then according to the Vedic cosmology, there is an intelligent being, a demigod, who's associated with that element and those senses. So that demigod, according to the Vedic cosmology, is Vayu, who controls the air and the wind and things like that. Right. So right from the beginning, you've got the idea that the material elements are there, not just by accident. They're there to generate perceptions, which we are equipped to perceive. And, you know, if, if you look at the explanation given by modern science, really doesn't make a lot of sense. Because according to their point of view, the they say the universe came into existence 13.7 billion years ago. But there was nothing, they would say, conscious. There was nothing to observe it, nothing to, nobody to perceive it. So if you have a situation like that, does it really even exist? Does, does what exist? The, the element itself? If you've got yeah how do you know it exists if there's no conscious person to experience it right they would say until the very end you know they they say life on this planet mm -hmm. which many think is the only place life exists right uh, it be began a billion years ago you know the most simple forms of life billions I hear billions, some some say, not well, one billion. <laughs> maybe two billion at, at the most. They're the first simple microorganism, one-celled creature, mm -hmm. uh, which I believe would be conscious, but they wouldn't think so. They would think right. that conscious, intelligent beings come into existence fairly late in the process maybe a hundred or two hundred million years ago and as far as humans like us three hundred thousand years ago maximum so it's kind of interesting to me that whoever programmed matter programmed it in such a way that it would generate sight sound smell, touch, uh, what did I miss, mm -hmm. taste, hearing, hearing, uh -huh. uh, right, that, you know, it's almost like uh, <clears throat> somehow or other the plan for a whole multimedia experience was programmed <laughs> right into the beginning or something. Yes, but, like that, that consciousness itself had intent when bringing these the whole construct including all the building blocks called the elements into form that totally makes sense and it's a wonderful thought form to uh to ponder yeah that that just occurred to me the other day when i was thinking about these things i mean if you think that conscious intelligent life only came into existence at the very end of this huge period of time that the universe supposedly was existing, but how would anybody know it was existing if there was no consciousness involved? In it? I think there was consciousness involved right from the beginning. Uh huh. And Reminds me of the saying of the 
if a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, did it really fall? <laughs> I think not, basically. <laughs> right. So that's that is a really fabulous array of uh, of possibility to dive into when thinking about this larger context in which we exist. And of course, we also know, and the Vedas teach, and even the other scriptures teach that our consciousness actually impacts matter and causes certain things to outpicture into reality simply by our will and our intent and what what our consciousness basically speaks into existence through the power of the word. Yeah, ultimately, I would say consciousness produces matter. Yes. There's a, a, a teaching in the, the Vedic text, the Upanishads, says Sarvam called Vidam Brahma. That means everything is spirit. Mm -hmm. It's just when you see something you know, that is actually spiritual, you mistake it or try to analyze it apart from its source, then that's matter, what we right. call matter. It's just not understood for what it actually is, an emanation from a supreme conscious source. Mm -hmm. And so that's crystallized sound, matter is the sound that the, the the intent and will of the consciousness spoken out and crystallized into what we call matter or the mother the matter of right <laughs> that that's that's a good i never thought of that before matter mother yeah that does because the in the in the vedic text uh matter is considered to be the personified by uh, goddess Kali or Durga, sometimes called the consort of Shiva. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, Parvati, who becomes Kali underneath that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that, Parvati and Prakriti are one and the same in some of the teachings as I've understood it. Yes. Right. So it's kind of interesting. Among archaeologists, you know, I, you mentioned I speak at archaeology conferences. Mm -hmm. You know, they're they're pretty materialistic, but they they want to say now that matter has agency, and I believe it does, considering that the material energy actually is identical with a, a person and you know Kali or Durga and she is an active agent she does stuff yeah the mother <laughs> divine mother yes that in itself is a fascinating uh, topic and there's many stories of interactions between Shiva and Parvati or Shiva and Kali and you can understand them on a very light level almost like a child watching a, a cartoon you know a, a story hearing a folktale and then they have layers and levels of meaning including all the way to this cosmic reality and the energy of uh, like nuclear reactivity and power and you know, how physics and metaphysics actually work. So that's why, that's one of the reasons why I absolutely love the Vedic stories, because uh, they get they get us activated on so many levels. Well, I, I like what you said a moment ago about sound being the source of everything. But it depends upon the quality of sound that one is allowing to enter through one's ears into one's consciousness and it depends upon what sort of sounds one is emanating putting out because there's so much sound vibration going on about 
mundane politics and people putting out those kinds of sound vibrations and they kind of if if one is just influenced by that one gets just totally absorbed in what's produced by that sort of sound vibration whereas if one is giving attention to other types of sound transcendental sound uh, that's what you know for example mantras are and mantras are found not just in the vedic tradition they're also found in other traditions they may not be called mantras but you know i was riding in an uber the other day and the lady who was driving she had she was tuned into a, a spanish language catholic radio broadcast and the priest or whoever was leading the ceremony was just repeating again and again i think in latin uh what 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 in effect was a mantra mm -hmm. you know i you know i could hear what he was saying he's repeating it again and again and again and again which is what you do with a mantra you repeat it you focus your mind on it and uh, it helps clear away the residue of other types of sound vibration that mm -hmm. we may be exposed to mm -hmm. yeah clears the way now everything you're saying there is truly the topic at the core of my passion in this existence because what, what what you're talking about is how how we have a responsibility not only for what we say and speak into existence but also for what we are allowing ourselves to hear now that is huge for people it's, i feel like that's huge for us to consider what music are you listening to what news are you listening to what gossip are you listening to are you listening are you giving an ear to things that are nourishing and uplifting and inspiring? Are you giving an ear to the ancient scriptures? Are you giving an ear to wise spiritual uh, folk and your own inner wisdom? Or are you giving an ear to, or are you giving the other ear, <laughs> are you giving the ear to, to the stuff that would lead to not so awesome karma? So in other words, what that's saying is through what we're listening to and what we're speaking, we're actually manifesting our own experience of this reality. And that's why I was thinking about this earlier. So I believe both in the Vedas, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but also in the Western teachings, it says, fear the Lord. And so Lord means law. And the law is what we're speaking about, that that which goes out comes back. So instead of thinking there's this ominous being for, to be afraid of, it's like, oh, be aware that what you are speaking is going to come back what you're speaking into existence by listening speaking and acting creates compounded momentum and karma is going to come back so be aware so instead of fear it's like pay attention because you have a role in this experience of creation here yeah i mean yeah there are different concepts of the supreme being yeah what i found interesting in uh, the Vedic tradition that I follow, which is the Bhakti tradition. There's a recognition that, you know, uh, that God can be revealed in many ways. One is as <clears throat> just the all pervading energy that pervades everything. That's one thing. And then there's the presence of the Supreme Being in the heart of each living entity, whether it's human or uh, animal or plant, fish, insect, whatever. Uh, there's the presence of the Supreme Being there along with the soul. And that, that gets into another topic that I encounter in archaeology and other academic disciplines, and even in the wider general public, 
the idea of transhumanism because you know, the tendency in the Western world has been to put the focus just on human beings. It's a very anthropocentric view. And, you know, for example, some religions said only human beings have souls. The animals are just uh, <clears throat> machines made of meat and you can kill them, no problem. They don't have a soul. They're, so I'm kind of in favor of expanding our attribution of personhood and consciousness beyond the human level and understanding that every living thing, what even the smallest insect mm -hmm. is a conscious individual and is part of God, really. So that kind of vision, I think, would, I mean, we even have trouble respecting other human beings if they're another gender, another race, another nationality. We have a hard time even reaching that level. But say we do reach the level where we understand that each human being is worthy of our respect. If we can get that far, then I think we have to start extending it to other species as well. They, in, again, to the Western scripture says, what you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. And, and so God, as we spoke of at the beginning of this, all that is came from god source love the prime creator you know whatever one wants to call that original impulse and so therefore there isn't anything that was made that's not made from that by that with that through that and so we are looking at a reflection wherever we go so the more that we can learn to love these reflections and accept them as they are and you know share in those higher vibrations of love and acknowledgement and what is namaste i believe means i the god in me sees the god in you and so that's that consciousness i believe that you're pointing to that we are as a race dawning you know we're at the dawning of opening our eyes to that higher reality which if we start thinking and acting from those thoughts then really imagine a world where that's the consciousness, it's going to change quite a bit, isn't it? Yes. Uh, and I, I was just on this line of thought in, in response to your noting uh, a few moments ago about how some people see God as something to be feared as a lawgiver. And that that is one level of God realization to appreciate God as the most powerful, you know, like a, a great king or, or something. And, you know, you have to be careful. You've got to be, you know, but God is also, <clears throat> can also be, excuse me, I've got to take a. Sure, take your time. God can also be perceived in another way as the best friend, the yes. best spouse, <laughs> you know, the best. Yes. Yeah, the, the, there's, uh, like you were saying, all of our relationships are actually reflections of relationships that are there between each conscious being and the source mm. of all conscious mm. beings who reciprocates with how we want to relate. Mm. Wow. So, <laughs> that is a fantastic thought right there. Well, it, it's, 
one of the remarkable insights. Of course, you do see reflections of this in other uh, faiths, Christian traditions, mm -hmm. uh, mostly on the esoteric or mystical side. Mm -hmm. you, know, you have you know, some saint who considered herself to be uh, the bride of Christ or yes. uh, in the Psalms, they have uh, King Solomon speaking about God as a lover and you know things like that. So I think that element is also there in addition to the awe and reverence that many people feel towards supreme being, however they conceive of it in their particular tradition. Uh, there's also, if you look at the more esoteric side of things, there's this other uh, more personal and, and uh, relational type of dealings that it's possible to have with the source. Yes, the Sufi are a great example of that. They call God the beloved and like the, the mystic poets, the Sufi mystic poets, Kabir and Hafiz and uh, what's the other guy, Rumi, they talk, they, they write poems to the beloved. And so, yes, this love affair, this, this falling in love with God is also the first commandment in the Western scriptures. So really you could say Jesus was a bhakti yogi, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> and that whole tradition is, is a tradition of, of bhakti yogi in the sense when we abandon all of our old thoughts, kind of like what you were saying about erasing negative sounds with positive sounds, when we throw our whole attention and all of our love on the supreme, that which is beyond all and includes all and is all and is in all, the source of all sources, the being of all beings, light of all lights, love of all loves. When we love that with all of our heart, might and soul, then we are changing our karma. We are erasing the past. We are coming into the fold of that higher octave, which will set us free. Yeah, I couldn't say it better myself. <laughs> you can see it gets me all excited. Like, yes, yes, that's what we're here to do, I feel. That's, that's the core of, of my mission, I guess you could say, if, we, if, if there's a thing about that, if that's a thing. <laughs> The mission to uh, restore love, to help us all remember love as as the core essence of our being and to see that and witness that in each other's eyes so that we can together remember that and let go of the charade that we've been playing, pretending to be separate beings and getting into all this drama, which, you know, some say we did it on purpose or we knew that was going to happen before we dove into the construct. <laughs> we got ourselves all tangled up in a mess. And now we're, yeah. we're like, wait a second, wait a second, maybe that's not so fun after all. Maybe love is actually what I want. <laughs> we find that in each other. Well, I hope these things all come out in San Diego <laughs> the end of April. Uh, that's what I'm looking forward to, to having people there who are into these things, are excited about them. And yes, absolutely. Let's just bring it to another level. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. What a treat and what a delight. Well, Michael, do you want to keep talking a little or how, do, how are you well, feeling? I'm, I, I think we've just gotten started. Yes, <laughs> for sure. These are, you know, I've always been um, so enamored with Mother India. I remember being a small child. I must have been, I don't know, wee, very wee, like two or three or <laughs> maybe. And my grandparents in, in New York had... Uh, were, were internationally inclined and had lots of friends from all over the world. And I remember being held by this beautiful Indian woman who had, you know, the red dot on her forehead and the sari and the bangles. And I remember her holding me. It's one of my earliest memories. I remember being in the Rose Garden. I remember loving all of the stuff my grandmother had from having traveled to India. And it's always just been so fascinating to me. And then when I look at the temples and I see, you know, 
the impact that, that the architecture had, like you, you cannot help but realize the level of advancement of the society that would have been able to build such incredible architecture. Yeah, it's amazing. I was going to ask about your your name, uh, yeah. Shariah. Was that your birth name, or it, did you get it at some other point? Well, it's a really interesting story. So my name came through. This, my, this is not my birth name. My name came through verbally, and I cognized it when I heard it from another person. When I heard it, I determined how to spell it. And then it turned out that the way that I determined how to spell it matches my nakshatra. So it's actually the correct way of saying my name in, in the, in the Vedic tradition of the, the nakshatra. So, um, so starting it with CH like that is just naturally what it is actually meant to be. And so, when I was looking up the meanings of it, I found a number, but the one that resonated with my role is orator and scribe for the lineages of light. So I do bring in wisdom teachings and speak them and do my best to share them, learn them and live them in this life. So that name Shariah is basically indicating that. It also means like bird or song. So it's kind of like it's all about speaking things into existence, I guess you say. Speaking. Sound vibration again. Yeah. And then the Dharma. I was actually, for some reason, I was connected briefly with Yogi Bhajan and not him personally. I never met him, but he gave me the name Dharma Kar. And many people were named Dharma Kar in that tradition. So when I went to redo my name and felt a calling to change to literally change it, um, I, I, I adopted the Dharma part because obviously if we, you know, we want to speak and remember constantly what we're learning and what we're integrating and remembering Dharma being the path of righteousness. So I felt it was a good mantra to have in my name. <laughs> and Thank I knew you. I was to take the name because I had, there was a meditation where my name was literally spinning for an entire hour and not only with me, but another person said, should I hear your name? It was spinning. It was spinning. And that's the same thing that happened to me. And so after that happened, I was like, I guess it's time for me to take that name. <laughs> yeah. And you were mentioning the architecture in India. That's it really is fascinating. I mean, one of the most interesting architectural phenomena I encountered was the Ellora Cave Temples near Aurangabad and I guess northern, northwestern India. Have you ever been to the Ellora Caves or seen? Yes, I've, I've never. Mm -hmm. Like there's like a, a mm -hmm. basically what there is is there's like a, a, a mountain, kind of like a low mountain with a long top made of solid granites, just solid stone. And what they've done is somebody, you know, went to the top and started carving a temple, you know, a multi-level temple. Yeah. And it's called the Kailash Temple. It's a mm -hmm. temple dedicated to Lord Shiva. But uh, it's just this huge structure, a couple hundred feet high, you know, starting from the top and then coming down. And there are elaborate rooms, columns, windows, everything, all carved out of one solid block of stone. I mean, there's something similar in Petra in the country mm -hmm. of Jordan. That's right. But that that is just facades, you know, it's facades of buildings carved into the stone. These are actual whole three-dimensional buildings carved right out of the solid rock. And I just wonder how do how do people do something like that? Great. Well, now I have two takes on that actually, which are completely opposite but both fascinating, shall I? Yeah, go ahead. So some say 
it's almost like 3D printing done by advanced beings with, that they create the, the holographic imagery in some kind of computer device and then project it onto the stone to, to, to 3D print it into existence. So, yeah. And then on the other hand, I had a beautiful being named Dr. Jesse Mercer, who's a Vastu teacher, said these the that the she she taught us that the the stone carver tradition is ancient and incredibly advanced. Like that there are literally people who can sit there and do that level of refined carving hand to hand. So interestingly enough, it's like which one is it? Is it the 3D carving or is it per or did people do it? You know, it's like, <laughs> we don't know. And yes, so here's some pictures of the Allure Caves. I'm not sure if we could pull up one of those images amongst them just to get a little bigger picture. Um, but we can see many of them there and people can look it up as well. The Allure, the Allure is absolutely fascinating. It just, it just, just things that make you go, Hmm, you know, <laughs> things that make you go, ohm. <laughs> yeah. Like, the world, we can't even begin to do something like that today. It, it's just, it's so far beyond the capacity. And there's, there's videos on YouTube about current stone carvers, current day stone carver technologists saying, we can't do this, you know, with many of the stone structures that you've probably studied around the world. They're like, we, we yeah. Got, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And my most recent trip to India, I was uh, looking at you know different temples and isolated rural areas of Bengal, West Bengal, and there was one of them. It's called the Suvarna Vihar Temple, and it's Vihar. Suvarna Vihar, and it's called the uh, Satya Yuga Temple. Oh, so yeah, yes. And of course, the temple structure that's there today is fairly modern, you know, built within the hmm. last century or two. Okay. But in as part of the temple, in part of the temple compound, they have uh, other architectural remnants, pieces of columns and things like that, that were part of a, a temple they say existed during the Satya Yuga. And that, you know, for those who aren't so familiar with the Yuga cycles, there were, there was a cycle of four ages or Yugas, the Satya Yuga, the Treta Yuga, the Dwapara Yuga, and the Kali Yuga. And each one lasts hundreds of thousands or even millions of years. The total of all four lasts 4,320,000 years. And according to the Vedic cosmological calendar, we're now in the Kali Yuga which is the last age. The Satya Yuga is considered to be like a golden age of spirituality. In the next age, things get worse. And then in the next age, even worse. And now we're in the final age, which is... We're like, woo! <laughs> you know, like an age of increasing social and environmental disturbance, which we actually unfortunately see but uh, uh, they claim to have these remnants of a temple that existed there during the Satya Yuga which would be about three or four million years ago mm -hmm. and you know according to the modern scientific way of looking at things you wouldn't have anything like like that you know, a temple building constructed of stone until about maybe 10,000 years ago at, at, at most. Yeah, and that's even stretching their comfort zone in terms yeah. of time uh, frames. I think they think 
Gobekli Tepe, where they have uh, kind of carved stone panels. Mm -hmm. Goes back about 13,000 years. And, you know, so that, like you say, that is stretching it, but I'm kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. So to have something like that from millions of years ago is really amazing and i've kind of made a career of finding things like that yeah it's interesting because i was literally just searching for remnants of Sacha yuga oh really so, yes so thank you for that hint i and what i what i thought of is interesting you might find this thought form interesting as well it it dawned on me that once we get down in the dumps of the distracted consciousness and the lower consciousness and the repercussion of negative karma that we call this Kali Yuga that we're in, mm -hmm. then we, you know, at that point we start praying and praying and praying and we start like, God, please, you know, we reach out and people start reaching out source God by whatever name they have in there. Please help people be good. You know, please help us up level. Please fix the environment. Please make everything wonderful. Please help everyone feel love in their hearts. Please, Please awaken humanity. You know, so we, at the end of the age, we manifest the new, the Satya Yuga all over again because we're just so tired of the, of the negativity. We're like, could, we're like, could we get back to, to this old age that this, that, that wants to be the new age and the golden age? Yeah. So, so that well, that, interesting. That does happen. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Uh, there are predictions given in the Puranas, the historical writings of ancient India, of what the Kali Yuga will be like as it goes on. We're just in the very beginning of it now. It started about 5,000 years ago. And you know, if you look at the world cultures that existed 5,000 years ago, you see they were... If you look at their art, their literature, whatever there is of it, uh, they were kind of in touch with higher dimensions of reality. They seemed they had connections and communications with higher beings. And, and but that kind of, when Kali Yuga began, that kind of communication with the divine, the source, it kind of broke down and we were left to our uh, own devices, so to speak. Right. Uh, but it, things aren't going to get a lot better uh, as time goes on. But it's like you were saying, there are I mean, you didn't say exactly this, but this kind of goes along with what you were saying. According to the Puranas, there are personalities who are going to reboot things after the end of the age of Kali and start another golden age. And they're waiting for that time. They're in psychic uh reserves in the Himalayan mountains somewhere. You know, there's a place called Kalapagram where they are uh, in caves or something waiting for the Kali Yuga to end and so they can start a new Satya Yuga. <laughs> but it's yeah. kind of like we're kind of like the, like if you have a school and you graduate in the first year or, or you get held back, then you get in the second year, you get another chance. Right. <laughs> You're held back in the third era. You know, in the Satya Yuga, if you use your human life properly, you're out of here. You're going to just woohoo. <laughs> On that crazy, note, Let's pause really quick and come back to this topic because I, I have a few comments and it's really fascinating. And let's share with everybody about the upcoming conference. Uh, Tina, did you have something you wanted to show us so we can take a look at the website here and just let everybody know more of the details 
of the Portal to Ascension Conference, which is happening April 21st to 23rd in San Diego this year. Um, another wonderful in-person gathering where you can be with Michael Cremo and Neil Gar, Joan of Angels, and so many wonderful, wonderful beings. We've got um, all of these fascinating folk here that you can hobnob with and get to know and um, see their presentations. And their presentations are, of course, going to be the leading edge of, of thought of what is current in th the three main topics of Portal to Ascension, which are ancient history, you know, true world history, uh, ET and UFOs, as well as spiritual awakening. And so there's the founder, Neil. Of course, there's Michelle Anderson, who's the illustrious uh, hostess, uh, MC, and Alan. You can see at the bottom of Alan's face there. Alan Steinfeld of New Realities will be there. Deborah Giusti will be there doing her Ascension panel, along with Scott Thomas, who was her co-host on Saturday Night Live, and um, Tangela of Soul Search. We have some beautiful musicians coming as well. And... It's just going to be an absolutely fabulous experience. Larissa Stowe will be there. Uh, there's Sheila Seppi uh, and uh, Jenna, Jenna Layden. So many fantastic people. Eric uh, Rankin. Um, so please do come out and join us in person in San Diego for this amazing event. It's sure to be a crowd pleaser. And, you know, when we get together in person, it's even more activating than being online. But if you absolutely cannot make it in person, you can also buy online tickets, of course, though everyone I'm sure would love to see you in person. And the tickets are very reasonably priced. And so please do come on out to San Diego and join us for the conference. Thank you, Tina. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'd just like to say that uh, I'm really looking forward to it for meeting some of the other researchers and speakers and uh, whoever comes to listen. And I, I think beyond you know, giving uh, my talk, I really welcome the opportunity to get to know some of the people better. Uh, hopefully there'll be plenty of opportunity for associating uh, outside the formal lecture structure so yes, i'm sure i think some of us are going to be holding workshops after the yes, conference today right. you know, do you want to pull that back up again so we can look at those those workshops uh you and adam apollo as well as the stargate folks are all holding workshops on monday so not sure if she's gonna Pull that up or not but you can certainly oh here it comes yeah. okay so yeah so michael primo's got a post-conference workshop on monday thanks for reminding me of that very important point there michael and so that'll be yeah. great if for people who want to go even a little deeper with michael on monday afternoon and then um there if you click the tab of monday there tina there you go um, you'll see that we have the Stargate meditation first, followed by ancient galactic alchemy with Adam Apollo, and finally the science, science meets the Vedas with Michael. So Monday's also a full day of really powerful workshops uh, if you want to dive in a little further there. Thank you, Tina. Perfect. <laughs> Yes. And so before, do you have anything else you want to say about the conference, Michael? Um, well, um, we were talking a little bit in the beginning about uh, my topic, you know, which is a cultural heritage project, the Temple of the Vedic Planetarium, which is going to be presenting a lot of the ideas that we've been talking about on, on this uh this podcast. And uh, I'm kind of looking forward to sharing that with people. And for the workshop, we are going to get into science and the Vedas and its different categories. Mm -hmm. But we're also going to have a mantra meditation session. So 
it, it, it'll be experiential as well as oh, just intellectual. Awesome. Absolutely. That sounds fantastic. I love it. I love it. I love it. So it's going to be a really powerful experience. Hope everybody can come out and jumping back to the, the ages of, I've heard there's different people who some people think we're in Dwapara Yuga because some people think we went from Satya to uh, Treta to Dwapara to Kali. Then we go back to Dwapara, then to Treta and back to Satya. So, I mean, there's different takes on these large cosmic yes. cycles, I suppose. So some people think, well, no, actually we're on the, we're on the upswing rather than the downswing. And so I'll ch I prefer being on the upswing personally. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting, actually, uh, that idea. I'm familiar with it. I've spoken at a conference organized by the people who are very much in favor of that idea. And um, it's based on the procession cycle. Which is mentioned in the Vedic literature, but the Vedic literature itself also talks about, you know, the traditional yuga cycle system that basically I follow. But I don't think they're necessarily contradictory. Mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, there can be a uh, cycle based on procession. You know, but I wish it could, could be called by a, a different name, like processional yuga system. Mm, I see, yeah. Something. But, it, you know, it's interesting. But even sticking to the traditional view, you could say, of the long yugas and the repeating cycle of yugas, uh, not going through and back and forth and back and forth. Mm -hmm. uh, even, even within the, the traditional yuga calculations, which say that we're 5,000 years into a Kali Yuga that's going to last for 427,000 more years, even according to that point of view, there's a 10,000 year period at the beginning of the Kali Yuga. This period began about 500 years ago and it's got 9,500 more years to go. During that interval, there is an upswing. There is an opportunity to transcend the effects of Kali Yuga and make a lot of spiritual advancement so it is on the upswing okay good so it's sort of like wheels within wheels and cycles within cycles yeah yeah that's yeah the big meta cycles and then you have the within the meta cycles that have cycles within them then there's smaller cycles within those and because it's very vast, this this whole concept of yuga is, is cosmically vast, and then and then granularly wherever we find ourselves in time and space, on the intersection of time and space here, we you know we we can we can individually do the work of ascending in any given moment if we've got the right teachers, the right consciousness the right karma <laughs> the right setting. yeah yeah just because it's raining you don't have to get wet right <laughs> exactly depends how your, motivated one your, is <laughs> put up your umbrella yeah yeah of course I, some people like fred astaire they like <laughs> dancing in the rain yeah exactly just dancing in the rain. well and that's that transcendent quality that's that love beyond that's, all understanding i guess you could that's say. the ultimate in any situation you're ecstatic absolutely well that is a beautiful note to close our time here together i wish we could talk for another couple of hours i think we 
I'm getting this tune that it may be time to wrap up here for today for us. But Michael, as always, I'd love to chat again sometime. Oh, we certainly will. Yes. And so Michael Cremo, you can find him at mcremo.com and look into about six books that he's got out, including Forbidden Archaeology. Fascinating man, fascinating topic, spiritual, spiritual person dedicated to not only discovering things for the benefit of the world, but also the inner quest and the inner practices of the deep spiritual path. And so it's always an honor and a pleasure, Michael. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Chariah. Absolutely. And to all the PTA crew. Absolutely. Our pleasure indeed. And so my name again is Chariah Dharma. Happy to be your host today on behalf of Neil Gar and all of the team at Portal to Ascension who do hope to meet you in San Diego. And one way or another, please check out the website at ascensionconference.com. Come on out in person or get a virtual ticket and enjoy the show. So we will see you again on Portal to Ascension very, very soon. Much love. Bye-bye. This is game time, everybody. The time for us to come together in unity and realize that we are all reflections of each other. We're all interconnected. You have worth that goes beyond what you do as a human on this planet. On Portal to Ascension, I've dealt with thousands of topics, thousands of speakers. It's called Portal to Ascension because it's like a, it's an umbrella for all types of information that we really want to delve into. The bottom line is remembering who you truly are.